0: Sunday. If anybody has not been water baptized, you followed the Lord, a profession of faith. You can see myself or Jace to get that get you on the schedule. So that's for next Sunday, June the twelfth, Father's Day. It's just a couple of weeks away. We always look forward to sharing that day with uh, our families and ministering the Word. I do it to the men. First Kings chapter number twelve is where we're going to be today. We're going to be in three passages of Scripture. We're going to have an opening text. And that's going to be the inclusion, that's going to conclude that reading. We're going to remain seating for a few minutes and then, or a couple minutes, and then I'll have you stand for the last passage, if you would. We're going to go to First Kings chapter number 12. Now, it is now 11.15. We've been in the worship sanctuary for one hour and 15 minutes. You're not going to count the dedication against my time. 1 Kings chapter number 12, verses 25 through 33. Remember last week I told you that because of some of the events that had taken place with the tragedy in Texas, I laid aside something that the Lord had been putting on my heart for a couple of weeks and kind of held off. And I, as I ministered the word, there was a somberness to me ministering. There was a somberness to you receiving the word. I was a little bit discouraged when I went home, but later that afternoon when I got, was able to be alone, I was able to listen to the message. I felt much better about it. I felt like it was the right word. It was something that needed to be said. If you didn't listen to it, I encourage you to go back. We live in tumultuous times, but I do believe that the prophetic word of God gives us a little bit of clarity and direction to help us to deal with things that w- may seem uncomfortable to us. How many of you believe that? Now, I'm going to look through the lens of the Word. I believe God is shining this, illuminating this to us so that we can be tempered in our spirit for things that we are seeing in our generation. I mean, every generation can be different. Every generation can deal with some different things. And ours is none the different. We need the wisdom of God. Verse 25 of chapter 12, if you found it at least on the screen, say amen. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, I know if you're not understanding this, then that's what I'm here for. I'll do my best to elaborate here in a few moments. And they shall kill me, the king is concerned, and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel. You better be careful with who you're counseling with. And made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel. "...which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan." Meaning all the way to Dan. And then he, Jeroboam, functioned amongst the one at Bethel. I'll explain more. "...he made a house of high places, and priests of the lowest of the people." which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel, the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month listen, which he had devised of his own heart. And he ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Now, this story continues in the book of Second Chronicles, as the, is being chronicled slightly different. We're going to pick it up in the 11th chapter with four or five verses before we then turn to chapter 13 to conclude the reading of Scripture. This is just a brief overview of what was just recorded in first kings chapter 11 verse 13 of the book of second chronicles says here and the priests and the levites that were in all of israel resorted to him meaning rehoboam out of all their coast for the levites left their suburbs and their possessions and came to judah and jerusalem For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto the Lord. And he ordained him, listen to this, priest for the high places and for the devils and for the calves which he had made. And after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers." And they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong three years. For three years they walked in the way of David and of Solomon. Now chapter number 13, two chapters over. To honor our tradition here, we're going to read 12 verses of Scripture. If you don't mind, would you stand and honor the reading of the Word of God before we pray? Preaching is a gift a privilege and opportunity. I thank God for it. It begins by the reading of Scripture This is now 18 years after King Jeroboam has began to reign. And it's Abijah. I've always said Abijah, but it's Abijah is now reigning over Judah. He is the son of Rehoboam. So I'll explain all that in a moment. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. The odds were definitely in his favor in the, in the numbers. And Abijah stood upon Mount Zimareim, I, you do I'll do my best on that, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam. So you can see this, mountainside to mountainside, Abijah or Abijah uh, Abijah is speaking and he's declaring to the opposing army and the opposing king. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and his sons by a covenant of salt. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the son, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and you be a great multitude, and there are with you golden calves, which Jeroboam made for you God's. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. But notice these last three verses. But as for us, the Lord is our God. you got to know whose side you are on. And the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron. And the Levites wait upon their business. And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices, sweet incense. The showbread also they set in order upon the pure table. The golden stick of of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God. But you have forsaken him. And lastly, he says, and, and behold... God himself is with us for our captain and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry an alarm against you, O children of Israel, fight not against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. It's a powerful text, isn't it, church family? There's great depth, great history, but there's a prophetic lens to it to help you and I discern the time in which we live. Well, I don't care whether you are young or whether you are the most aged person among us. I think we would all agree we live in tumultuous times. We need to be guarded and prepared to be the light that God's called us to be. Today I want to talk to you about a message the Lord's laid on my heart called Jeroboam's Gospel. Jeroboam's Gospel, we're going to pray and ask the Lord for illumination. Father, I love you, and I'm grateful to have an opportunity to now share a word that you've been dropping in my spirit for several weeks now. I pray, Lord, today uh, openly, publicly, the way that I pray privately, prepare the heart of the people to receive this word, Father. God, I pray the things that you have quickened inside in me, God, you will quicken inside of them, that Father, preaching will come easy in this house today. There will be a distinct anointing, a tangible anointing. The people will recognize it as a word from the Lord. Father, let us understand the context of Jeroboam's gospel today so that we will be more vigilant about the changing, shifting culture around us. We'll be more emboldened to know whose side we're on and who's on our side that we might, Father, in Jesus' name, wage our good warfare by faith. It's in Jesus' name and all of God's children said come on somebody amen and amen i'll tell you what preaching is going to come easy in this house i can already tell now i'm going to go back for a moment here kind of turn quickly in my bible kind of keeping it open to the context of first kings chapter number 12 if you'll allow me i'll always like the way that i my style of preaching is I, i try to be broad as broad as i can initially give you as much context set the stage Create for you an understanding of the text that is being presented to you and then narrow it to the definitive purpose that I believe God has for this word for today. For we as an assembly of God fellowship, myself as a pastor, believe very uh, very, very, purposely that we can have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. How many believe God is still speaking? God's speaking to his people. He's never without a voice. So the context of 1 Kings chapter number 12 is a very unique passage. It's the passage that I found myself in when uh, we were going through the change of uh, the election and what took place in November of 2020. I found myself in this text of Scripture searching for the Lord's clarity in my heart to give me some peace of the things that, that I felt like were falling upon our nation. I do believe that the Word of God is a lens. It's a prophetic lens. It has greater revelation than the news app on your phone. And so we must look to it to understand the times and seasons. And so for a moment, to give you an understanding of this context, because remember what I mentioned to you two weeks ago, that Solomon, the wisest of all men, that had a profound, unique gift from God to understand mysteries and knowledge and possess wisdom that had been hidden in the heart of God since uh, the, the, the Genesis, and now Solomon has received it. Uh, the latter end of his life, though, unfortunately and tragically became marred by his, by his succumbing to the temptation of idolatry. I shared with you two weeks ago, the Bible says that he married many strange women. I warned all the young single men not to marry strange women. Nevertheless, press on. And with that, that's just what the Bible said. And so they, but they turned his heart towards idolatry. And so a man that was given profound, distinct wisdom from God towards the end of his life, he begins to erect tabernacles or images or uh, uh, golden idols or idols for his wives that he's married that they might worship the God of their their nativity, the God of the family, of the the community from which they used to dwell because most of them were politically arranged marriages in order to provide peace for the kingdom. And so, with that said, uh, after a period of time, Solomon found himself worshiping those idols as well. And the Bible says that he turned from his true, sincere worship of Yahweh, the God of the Hebrew people. Uh, and so, the thing that I and so that's kind of a little bit of the context there. That's what is leading to the division of the kingdom. As a result of that, Solomon did not come out and attack true worship. He simply built worship for these idols alongside true worship. So what you have here is you have a picture, just a little while, is that, it, is that you've got not necessarily at that time competing religions. You've got, you've got the worship of Yahweh at the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon has built the temple. People are coming three times annually to the feasts and the festivals, and daily is the smoke of sacrifice off of the brazen altar. Daily is the function of the priesthood. But now, just outside of Jerusalem there, there's an idol being worshipped on a high place. And then there's a hill where they're burning incense to a pagan deity. And as a result, God comes and pronounces judgment upon Solomon. And the pronounced judgment was is that the kingdom would be rent from his hands. And you'll have to go back, and Time won't, won't allow me to elaborate on all of this. But that 10, you know, the nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes. If we can look at it in comparison, the United States of America is 50 states plus territories. For the children of Israel, ancient Israel, there were 12 tribes, each allotted a particular uh, region of the land, and yet they were all functioning united as one nation under David and originally under Solomon. But because of Solomon's transgression, God in his wisdom, and there is wisdom to what he allowed, he allowed the kingdom to be divided. And so the ten northern tribes were aligned with this Jeroboam. Jeroboam is not the son of Solomon. He's the son of a servant that served Solomon. And he is given the kingship over the ten northern tribes, now known from this day forward in this text as Israel. Israel. But the son of Solomon retains authority over two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, where Jerusalem is, and the temple. That's the context of what we were reading here in chapter number 25. And so for a little while, again, the two, in, the two religions are functioning kind of right beside each other. It's tragic when you have state-sponsored idolatry. We see a little bit of that in our generation, don't we? And so Rehoboam here is leading these southern tribes, and Jeroboam is now the leader over the ten northern tribes. And so you think about this very much because I believe it holds a prophetic truth for the state of our nation and also for the church. We have to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. So I want you to think about this when this takes place immediately once the prophetic word is given that the nation is being divided. They originally were going to go to war, but the prophetic word prevented them from going to war, and Rehoboam obeyed that prophetic word, and the men laid down their arms, and they simply chose to function as two distinct nations. So you know that there's a little bit of time of acclamation. There's the regathering of the economy. There's the shifting of certain families and certain traditions begin to shift. and So it takes a little bit of time. There's probably some mitigation and some migration that's going on as these communities that are once functioned uh, you know, uh, as a whole are now functioning as two different independent nations of each other. And after this is beginning to take place, and there's some movement, Jeroboam, who is the king over the ten tribes, begins to notice something. this is the text in which we begin to read in first, uh, first chronicles, or excuse me, first Kings 12 we at Jeroboam, as he begins to see the children of Israel begin to take their annual pilgrimages. If you know anything about the word of God and the law of Moses, all the men of Israel were required three times a year to travel annually to the temple in Jerusalem to present themselves unto the Lord to bring their family to bring sacrifice it was a pilgrimage it was it was exciting it was worship it was family it was a kinship it was there they would bring sacrifice they would hear the reading of the Torah it was there that they would be exposed to the glory of God David himself wrote about it when he said I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the Lord he said, when the tribes grow up, first uh, Psalm 122, it was an exciting time, and Jeroboam is taking notice, and he's seeing how that three times a year, people are loading up in their little caravans, and they're making this journey down to Jerusalem, and they're worshiping God. And he begins to surmise in his own heart, and he arrives, and he says, you know what? If I allow this to, con- to continue, then what's going to take place is the heart of the people, as they begin to be agitated spiritually, it's going to realign their political affiliation. Now let me go ahead and say something about that very quickly. The people's faith is going to determine their political affiliation. Because your religion is going to determine your political allegiance. Don't think for a moment the nation is being divided over politics. It's not being divided over politics, it's being divided over faith. Because your politics is a product of your faith. And the people that are telling you we've got to divide from faith from politics is a lie because the words that they are saying, that is their faith, that is their religion. And so Jeroboam becomes acutely aware of this, and he knows if there's a religious revival amongst the people, they will return to Rehoboam. And he said, they'll kill me as a traitor. And so he ponders in his own heart. And the Bible says, and this is why I said you got to take notice of, is says, he took counsel. You better be careful who you're counseling with, who you are leaning to for their, 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 their instruction and their wisdom. And through the devising of his own heart and some ungodly counsel, he arrives at a particular scheme that we see in the Word of God. So rather than, listen to what he did, and this is what I want you to take notice of because there is a prophetic word. It's happening right in front of you. Rather than seek to abolish... The worship of Yahweh in the 10 northern tribes known as Israel, rather than simply continue to worship alongside it, he simply sought to manipulate it. So, what Jeroboam did, you've got to catch this, you've got to read this very closely, is that he set up two shrines initially for worship. One is in the northern part of the country, Dan. The other is Bethel, only a few miles separate Bethel from Jerusalem. And so this was intended so that anybody taking the southern migration to Jerusalem wouldn't have to go all the way to Jerusalem. You could just stop at Bethel. Why did he choose Bethel? Because Bethel in the Hebrew going back to when Jacob pillowed his head in a stone, on a stone and poured oil on it, he called it the house of God. And he made two golden calves. So what he's doing is he's tying this new idolatry to a moment back in the history of the nation of Israel. When the children of Israel were at the base of Mount Sinai, everybody remembers that. Moses is up in the presence of God and he's praying. And the people who have lived 400 years amongst the idolatrous Egyptians want a tangible God. They don't want an invisible God instructing them out of the fire. They want a tangible God molded and shapened into something that they can like and something that that is an image that they're familiar with. And they put pressure on Aaron. Anybody remember that? And Aaron cast golden earrings into a fire. And the Bible says out came this golden calf. And when when the golden calf came out, notice what Aaron said and then what Jeroboam said. Aaron said, this is your God. That's brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And now hundreds of years later. Jeroboam in the gospel. His first gospel message. As both king and priest. In the worship of the golden calf. Points to the golden calf. And connects it to the history of the people. And says the invisible God. That Moses worshipped on the mountain. Has chosen to reveal himself. In the form of this idol. This, not Yahweh, the invisible God, this golden calf is the Yahweh, the God that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It's very devilish, if you will. And so Jeroboam here in this moment of time, he is joining the calves with that historic yet fateful moment. And there's an objective that he is attempting to obtain in his heart. Rather than attempting to annihilate true worship of Yahweh, as Jezebel would later, many years later, Jeroboam is simply creating a false gospel. It looks akin to. He builds a temple. He ordains a priesthood. If you read carefully the reason why it's said in 1 Kings that on the eighth day, Or the 8th month, on the 15th day, he ordained a feast. Why? Because in the Mosaic law, on the 7th month, on the 15th day was an ordained feast. He's got people coming, bringing sacrifice. He's saying there's no reason for you to go to Jerusalem. It's a form of the true, but without the true power of submission to Torah. Let me tell you what it was. It was Jeroboam's gospel. It was a perverted gospel. It was a corrupted gospel. It was a gospel with houses of worship, a deity associated with past faith, a corrupt priesthood not born of Aaronic descent. It was a place of devotion and of sacrifice, but not according to the revealed will of Yahweh in the Torah. Now let's jump to our generation for a moment. Isn't that what we as Americans want? We want a religion that resembles the truth but denies the true power of the gospel. We want something that is the shadow of, close enough, so we can have the cross on our t-shirt and wave the flag, but we fail to submit ourselves to the will of God. It was devised of Jeroboam's own heart and his schemes and the counsel that was given to him. One of the ways that Jeroboam was able to seduce the people was to make worship at this house of worship more convenient for the people. Notice his words. His words were in chapter number 12, of verse number 28, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. And I got to thinking about that because even our church can sometimes fall prey to that. Here's the reality. We have made in the American church today things just way too convenient. I know y'all aren't shouting me down on that because y'all like convenience. Let me just say, let's just see what Jeroboam said. Jeroboam told the people, it costs too much to travel. The expense is too great. The sacrifice is too great. Here's the solution. You don't need to go to God's house. You can worship here. You can worship at home. You can worship online. I understand God is not, constr- is not contained in a box. He's not limited to a, to a singular location. And I, do, I understand also that we should worship God from home and afar. I don't believe that worship should always be limited to this four walls. Right? And certainly it's not contained to just one day. But every day. Every day that we get up, we get up as a living sacrifice unto God. I recognize that and I know this and I, and I honor that. But at the same time, I, I don't want to impede anybody's uh, accessibility to the presence of God. Because I recognize that God's presence should be accessible. But let me say this real quickly about corporate worship. Jesus put a great premium on corporate worship. I know you can get up and worship God, and I know that you can put on, you get up in the morning, you got your pajamas and your overcoat and your slippers and your coffee, but there is something entirely different and greater and, and, and with a greater level of anointing and a greater expectation when you get up very purposeful. You set your heart, you get in your automobile, you've got your mind, you're adding your faith in agreement to others, and you come under the under the same root together and you worship God in a collective setting but Jeroboam used ease and convenience did you know since COVID we've had drive-through church I understand during that uncertain season of 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 COVID but we're not there now I don't want to drive through church I want to experience the presence of God in a corporate worship service with men and women of like precious faith are you out there today I do say this with King David. David said, I was glad when they said unto us, let's go up into the house of the Lord. When the tribes go up, is there effort involved? Yes. Is there sacrifice involved? Yes. But with the measure you meet, it's going to be measured back to you. You want this church to be everything it should be? Then add all that you can to it. And when you do, that's when we'll blossom under the power and the presence of God. Jeroboam's connection to the golden calf was prior to the law being given, and it returned the people to worship. It encouraged the people to worship, but without the demand of Torah, the same as today. We worship according to our convictions rather than his commandments. Are y'all out there? Now, listen, as I say that, I'm saying I want you to look at what happened, and then I want you to look at what is happening. The same devils are stimulating the culture in which we dwell to keep the people of God from being all that God's called us to be by uniting the word of the Lord from the prophetic word was the church, the people, of the true people of God have to come together in faith. And sometimes that demands that you make very difficult decisions. So let's go a little bit farther here for this. Are y'all here? I feel the Spirit of God on this today. I know the Spirit of God. This has been in my heart for several weeks now, and I've been pondering and praying it. I laid my, my, my head on the bosom of Christ in prayer and said, God, what's the heartbeat for our church? When Jeroboam sanctioned a priesthood from his house of worship, he too served as a priest. Did you know that? He, not only is he king, but now he's priest. Now, in the children of Israel, you couldn't be both king and priest. That was in two people, Melchizedek and later in Jesus But according to the Mosaic law, there was a king and there was a priest, right? But see, Jeroboam is functioning as both. Read the context. He's serving at the altar. He's also sitting on the throne. Why is that? Because as a priest, he can now not only speak of his God when he was king, that's all he could do. He could speak about his God. But now he's a priest, he can speak for his God. Did you know we're seeing that today? We have that in these United States of America. I'm going to call one out. I know she will never know me, know my name, but I'll go ahead and mention it today. I left it off two weeks ago, but Nancy Pelosi and other political leaders, now that Nancy's been reproved by her church for her devotion to child sacrifice, read her next interview and what she said now she gets to speak for god now she takes the gospel of matthew which gives us the sermon on the Mount, and she takes the sermon on the mound to justify her stance for abortion are y'all out there so tell me that that's not a perverted gospel that's a perver- That's that's jeroboam's gospel right there so you watch you listen to this pastor today That will be the new yet old tactic. It's already been in place in the LGBT community and the movement. Apostate religious leaders came out in support of some time ago. But now apostate religious leaders will begin to give God's affirmation of abortion. I'm going to go ahead and share. You said, oh, no way. No way, Pastor Brown. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, you just asked me, so I'm going to go ahead and share with you real quickly. Got a little story here I'm going to share. Let me just read just a little bit real quickly. This is an article that comes to us. Let's get it It says, Abortion must be legal and accessible. Those were the words of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. The Evangelical Lutheran Church released a statement Tuesday stating opposition to the Supreme Court's leaked draft opinion that could overturn Roe versus Wade. And so the ECLA, a medium-sized denomination of approximately 3 million members, guess how big the Assemblies of God is in the United States, 3.1 million members, same as this, uh, this, this Lutheran, this branch of the Lutheran Church, made the announcement via their website and their social media. Bishop Elizabeth Eaton, the head of the ECLA, cited the church's 1991 social teaching document as the basis for the church's support of abortion access. The people of this church and this country have various and perhaps contrasting responses to the Supreme Court's leaked draft opinion on abortion, Bishop Eaton wrote. Regardless of where each of us stand on this issue, the the ELCA's 1991 social statement on abortion speaks to all of us. The church teaches that abortion must be regulated but not outlawed according to the 1991 document, though in this they contradict themselves. For they acknowledge the fetus as human life and a neighbor of the woman and the community, but then they affirm the right to kill it in the womb. But see, the wisdom of this world is earthly, sensual, and devilish. In a social statement, the church holds both women and developing life in the womb as neighbors, The church declares that any person who has become unexpectedly pregnant has the moral agency to discern what to do, and this decision-making usually happens in a community. And lists on. Let me go a little bit farther. This is a mainline Protestant denomination established in 1988 via the combination of three churches, the American Lutheran Church, the Lutheran Church of America, and one other church. There's a lot of other things Related to that church, the LCA installed its first openly transgender bishop, the Reverend Megan Rohr, in 2021 at a service in San Francisco. So let me tell you, just like Jeroboam's perverted gospel, we're living in a generation when you can walk through the doors of a building where there is a cross, where there's a Christian flag, where there's a Bible, and yet where the preacher or the priest might be transgender. Don't tell me history doesn't repeat itself. The devil is on the move, and we've got to be vigilant. So I'm preaching wedding yard shouting, but I'm telling you the truth. How do we know? So, Pastor Brown, there's a lot going on. There's a lot in this. that You didn't know that was in Jeroboam's gospel. A perverted gospel. I remember what Paul, Paul warned the people of the church of Galatia of a false gospel. As a matter of fact, he said, and how about this for being inclusive? Paul said that if anybody preaches any other gospel than the gospel you've received, let that man or woman be accursed. John said these, oh, we're in a generation, we're inclusive, and we invite everybody, and we sing kumbaya. John said, if there's anybody that brings any other doctrine than the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't bring that person in your house, and don't bid them Godspeed. So I'm telling you there is a definitive moment that's happening in these United States, and it's not over states' rights. It's not Republican versus Democrat. It's who's on God's side, and who's been deceived by the power of the adversary. The God of this world that has blinded the minds of men and women in the culture in which we live. And so it's very difficult. And so you say, you may ask yourself a question and say, Pastor Brown, how do I know the difference between the true and the false? That's a good question, isn't it? In order for me to share with you as I prepare to lean us towards. A closing, I'm going to say leanest because I've got some good things here to share with you and drop in your heart today. How am I going to know the difference? Because if you look at Jeroboam's religion, his gospel, and the religion in Judah, in Jerusalem, you had a temple in Judah, you had worshipers, you had priests, you had sacrifices, but you went to Jeroboam's church. You had an ordained priesthood, you had a sacrifice, you had leaders. So how do you know the difference? Number one... This is how, just real quickly, before I get to the number one, you've got to study the truth. You've got to study the truth, not by studying the false. A generation later, Rehoboam, who was prevented from warring with Israel, is dead. His son Abijah now reigns, and he reigns for three years in Jerusalem, where Jeroboam's reigning for 18 years. And the, this time, the Scripture says that there is war between these two tribes, these two nations. Civil conflict does occur. There is conflict happening right around you. In the Spirit and on the streets. How far it will go, I've been saying for a couple of years. I don't know how far I, it will go, but it's happening. It's not, we're not waiting for it to happen. It is happening. But Jeroboam is reproved by Abijah as Abijah reproves him from the mount. And he speaks some words against him. And I'm saying to you today, there is a war in our nation right now. Even President Biden declared it a war for the soul of America. That's one of the only things I can say that I agree with him on. And that I would say, yeah, he's right about that. But who is actually on God's side? That's what's going to be determined in the days ahead. How do we know the true gospel from the false gospel? Can I preach that to you today closing? I want want you to know, how do we know the true gospel of Jesus Christ and the church and the mission and the apostles and the mandate and holding forth the word of life and being a city set on a hill that cannot be hid or succumbing to Jeroboam's false perverted gospel? I want you to hear this today as I close. Number one, very quickly, every attempt to detach the old covenant from the new quickly reveals apostasy. Many times when people are trying to confirm their particular status on social issues, that they're doing so through the teaching of Scripture, they do not include the Old Testament as in any capacity. And they're just like, well, we're in a new covenant. But let me tell you, we don't have two Bibles. We have one Word of God, an old and a new covenant, that are joined together in Jesus' name. And Jesus was that bridge. Are you out there today? And so let me tell you today, the writers of the new are writing in correlation, in harmony with the old. And so Abijah declares their faith to be the true faith because it was descended from Torah, which was given by a covenant of salt in the book of Numbers, the law. And the very thing that Jeroboam rejected, that's the thing that confirmed the oath that was given to David. That's why you better know the word of God. You better have the spirit of the Lord upon your heart to be able to discern the word of God. So how do we tell? So just a note real quickly, Jeroboam begins to cast out the priests. The true priests begin to quickly migrate to Jerusalem because Jeroboam has consecrated any and all who desire to be a priest, base, vile individuals. And so let me say this about ministry. You can be disqualified from ministry. Just because you say, well, I've got a degree or I've got an opportunity or I've been sanctioned by a particular group of individuals, that does not qualify you to stand behind what we call a sacred desk and preach the gospel. To truly be consecrated, to share the living truth of the Word of God, you better have an anointing of the Spirit of the living God upon your life. Let me go a little bit farther than that because I want you to understand what's happening. So when Jeroboam had a priesthood, Jeroboam in a pompous, pious, religious devotional ceremony would have set aside those evil, vile men and consecrated them to serve at the tabernacle or the temple that he has erected. So they were priests. They were consecrated, but they were not anointed. What's the difference, Pastor Brown? Because, yes, maybe they had oil poured on their head, but they didn't have the oil poured on their head because the oil was the holy anointing oil that God had set apart by an oath in the time of Exodus when God said, take these five compounds, mix them together, and He said, it's a holy anointing oil by an oath. God set it apart. And from that moment forward, every priest every levite would have had the holy oil put on his head you want to know who's been set apart from ministry it's not who's been consecrated it's who's been anointed by the spirit of the living god that's going to de- that's going to determine who's speaking for god in our generation those priests made serving god their business i thought about that for a moment and i i love serving the church but my goal is not to serve the church we are in the generation of love and serve, love and serve. Let me tell you, I want to love and serve. I want to love and serve the one that pillowed his head on a tree for me. That's the one, the one that looked down from, with blood in his eyes and compassion in his voice and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the one that I want to serve and be faithful to him. So those that are anointed of the spirit of the living God, not just consecrated, but anointed. Number two, true priests will make a sacrifice. So when Abijah is speaking to the people from the mountain, he's saying the priests that are with us are burning all, they're burning sacrifice on the brazen altar outside the temple in Jerusalem. Priests in our generation that have a distinct anointing upon their life are going to make sacrifice. We present ourselves to him. We lose ourselves. I've been in the ministry for now, now, for over 35 years, 36 years of my young life. And, 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 and even this morning in prayer, I still pray, God, not my will, but thy will be done. God, every good thing that you've ever given in my life, I will lay it down. If you want it back, it's like Job, naked I came into this world and naked I'm going out. So why do I hold tightly to things that have no eternal value? I lay it aside and say, God, whatever you want. Every day we die to self, our selfish interest, our personal goals, our aspirations, because every day true ministry says, God, I want your will to be done. You're going to just see that in the days ahead. It's going to be more demanded upon us. Number three, true ministry will burn incense where? On the golden altar. I don't know if y'all caught that real quickly today. There's only seven of these. I'm going through them very quickly, but burn incense means we will make petition with God with praise. That's what the golden altar means. It means we petition God with praise. But it also means this. It means that as we do this, which we petition God with praise, we also know how to intercede for the people, number four, by virtue of the blood of Jesus. So these two are together. We make incense. And so let me say this. Let me see if I can help you with this. As a minister of the gospel and also as a Christian believer, you need to be familiar with something called the holy place. The holy place is when you come into the presence of God. The presence of God can be an altar. The presence of God can be your seat. The presence of God can be your car. The presence of God when you isolate yourself from your family and friends and you go out into a quiet, solitary place and there pray. But it's there when you know that you may be standing in one location right here. But I believe in my heart of hearts. I came to this church. I was out of town for three days. I came to this assembly yesterday. And in the quietness and the darkness of this room, I walked back and forth and from this aisle. And physically, I was at 1009 West Cersei Street. But in the spirit, I was in the presence of Almighty God and I was unashamed to be there, and I was comfortable being there because I don't trust in my merit. I don't trust in anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for my transgressions. I'm there because he said I could come. Are y'all here today? And so I want you to know today that true ministers come boldly to his throne room, and we seek we seek for mercy and grace, and we intercede for one another. And I pray and I call upon the name of the Lord and I say, God, would you bless the men and women of first assembly of God? Would you keep them in this dark hour? And when I pray for you, and this is my honest con- the confession here today, yes, I pray that you're blessed coming in. And I pray that you're blessed going out and you're the head and not the tail. But my greatest prayer of faith is for you is that when you are tempted and tried, you will not fail. Your faith will not fail. But God will keep you in the hour in which we live. Number five, true ministry has the showbread, the shoebread, they call it. Read that in 2 Chronicles 13 as I'm closing. The shoe, they said the, he, said, he said, our ministers have the shoebread. We got the bread. Let me tell you, you to, to discern the perverted gospel from the true gospel is that when you go to the house of God, the true gospel is going to minister the word of God, not creeds, not statements of the church, but what saith the Lord? What's the word of God? Not poems, not stories, not gimmicks, not fables, not shallowed, watered down life lessons. But the showbread was baked hot on a coal of fire. And the priest himself, not only did he, he present it to the Lord, and I believe that my sermons that I bring to you, I bake in prayer, I bake in study, and I meditate. And it's my service to present it to the Lord by sharing it with you. But I want you to know today in a generation when men leave the ministry by, by, the, by the untold numbers monthly, it's because they're not eating the showbread. Let me tell you, here's what I know about something, about the ministry. I'll just open up. I've been doing it a long time now. And so I know there is power in hearing the Word of God. I know there's power that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. And I get encouraged when you come to this house and you're ready and and you invoke me and the gift that's inside of me to share what God's put in my heart. And so, But I'm not hearing the Word. I'm not seated in there. I'm standing here. But how do I stay encouraged? How do I stay built up in my faith? It's because I don't just share the showbread. I eat the showbread. And so when I'm preparing my heart before the Lord, that word that you're hearing now is getting down inside of me. And so for two weeks now, I may have been moving my son in Oklahoma, but in my heart I was thinking about Jeroboam's false gospel and how that we need in our generation the true gospel to be preached by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So not only my sharing, the preacher's got the showbread, but he's going to eat it too. Number six, true ministry will light and trim and maintain the lamp. Go to a church and be a part of a church in a perverted and distorted generation that has both a revelation and illumination. The Spirit of God lights and reveals hidden things, doesn't he? He does. Daryl, join me on the platform if you would, and we'll close the message here right at the noon hour today. I thank God that the Spirit of God is revealing things to us. You need the revelation that comes. By his Holy Spirit in this darkened time. There was only one light in the holy place. And that was the candlestick. It illuminated the table of showbread. And so the showbread and the candlestick were opposite of each other. But they were not contrasting each other. They were connecting the two. So we as believers we have and we pray for illumination and revelation. That's always in harmony with the revealed word of God. That's what keeps you out of a cult. So when Jeroboam stood there, let me tell you this real quickly. I don't mind. I know that I I know that, that Nancy Pelosi's not listening to my sermon. She should. I feel emboldened to say that. With a smile. The gospel of Matthew especially the Sermon on the Mound, does not affirm abortion. Let me just go ahead and make that clear for you today. It doesn't matter if you've been in the Senate or in the House for 30, 40, 50 years. I'm telling you by revelation of the Holy Spirit of God that the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus said, Suffer the little children and allow them to come unto me and forbid them not. It's not encouraging the right and the privilege of abortion. Amen. Amen. We need to have a discerning ear in our generation. It's Pentecost Sunday, and for historically this, the Pentecost churches have celebrated Pentecostal uh, experience by shouting and bucking. That's not what I'm about here today. I'm about being vigilant, being sober because Jeroboam's burning incense on his altar. Jeroboam's ordaining priest. Those priests are on television. They're on social media, and they want the, their voice heard, and they want our voice muted. And so my, my, I'm, I'm in a spiritual mindset right now that says, God, let the spirit of Abijah be upon me in Jesus' name. Let me be ready. The conflict's in the earth right now, and I can't bury my head in the sand, as I said two weeks ago, and I can't pretend if I just bury my head, it's going to pass away. No, we've got to meet this head on. But let me tell you, when that thing went to conflict, when it went to conflict, there were 400,000 with Abijah, and there was, uh, or, or, or with uh, Abijah the son of Rehoboam, and there were 800,000 with Jeroboam. But if you would have read later in the text, God was on Abijah's side. And I'm trusting that with God, all things are possible. And the power of the true is going to eventually expose the power of the false. Lastly, today, lastly, number seven. True ministry, verse 12, of that same text of 2 Chronicles 13. You have to read that on your own again. True ministry will sound an alarm. It said that the priest sounded the alarm. Amen. The priest, not Fox News, not elected representatives in the House or the Senate, but the House of God, the anointed man of God, or men of God, and women of God, sound the alarm. They set the trumpet to their lips. They address the culture. Our mouth, our ministry is our trumpet. We speak what the Lord reveals to us. There's a great deception occurring in America. Abijah calls to the people of Israel, warning them not to fight against God. He calls to the church or the minister who cannot or does not speak out against the sinful culture of America of America as consecrated but not anointed. You can be consecrated and not anointed. You can serve the altar of devils thinking you're serving God. Let me say that one more time. That was a poor response. You can serve at the altar of devils thinking you're serving God. Designated as a house of God when it's actually a house of paganism. So we better be vigilant in the generation in which we live. Because Jeroboam's gospel is in your day. The same as it was 2,700 years ago. The enemy knows... That if he can corrupt the word of God, substituting the authentic faith for a perverted false gospel, he will keep us from our destiny of faith. God's called us to be a light. He's called you to be a light. They don't know they're in error unless you sound the light. A light to the nations. People are held firmly in a satanic deception and doomed to a tragic end. And you and I must be more vigilant than ever before. Jeroboam's gospel, you'll see it being formed every day in this nation. What are you going to be a part of? There's visitors among us today. What are you going to do? When you leave here, where are you going? You'll climb back in the vehicle and you're going to go to Jeroboam's church, or you're going to find you a church that's preaching the true gospel? I'm telling you, the line, the line is becoming. Are y'all hearing me today? You're going to be decision. I, I, I love this as I close. I, and I pray and I said, God, I don't even know how to. This is a word from the Lord. I know it. I know it is in my spirit. It's a word from the Lord. I know that not every church preaches this way. But I'm telling you, I know that God's called our church. He's called me personally to, when I lay my head and pillow, I know we live in the generation we want pastors to be life coaches and things like that. But when I, I, I see right now, we've got to be vigilant, You know, I have on my phone right here an article that I sent to myself because I've been with State Farm for 35 years. But one of the CEOs and the leaders of State Farm recently sponsored through the money that I pay in for my premiums to expose kindergartens to a decision of transgenderism. And the only reason they stopped supporting it is because it leaked, and once it leaked, conservative Christians, most, mostly, lifted their voice up. State Farm chose not to sponsor it, but then said, but we're going to search for other ways. That's the culture in which we live. So yesterday, the grandkids was over for just a moment. Sherry and I signed off from the Dish Network and all that a couple of months ago to just kind of be clean. But the grandkids are over there. But you can still access one of the kids that's got the Disney channel. So they're on the Disney. So we're going to watch a little Disney moment where it was hot outside. We need a little break. We come in. And so I've got the four-year-old, the seven-year-old, and the nine-year-old. And as I'm searching for Disney, I've got the pride right there. Right there. Don't tell me that Jeroboam's Gospel is not being presented at all levels. While we want to come in church and just play church, you better be vigilant. That's my word to you today. I don't know how to close it off, but you're, make a decision. If I can say anything to you at all, make a decision. Follow God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And be a part of a church that's not a part of the perverted gospel. That stands on the truth of the word of God, whose convictions align with, thy word, with his word, that you can add your agreement to. That's what I want to encourage you to do. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of the Lord for a moment of time. I know it's a little afternoon today. I know I will preach a little longer than the average pastor. But at the same time, my heart is heavily burdened. Heavily burdened. I, I, can't, I can't pretend. I, I, I cannot live in pretense. That's just not who I am as a pastor, as a person. Take away the pastorate. I want to be authentic and sincere I want people to be vigilant and be confronted with the truth of the gospel. Even when it hurts, even when it's painful, even when it causes you to lose friendships, even when it causes you to make strong decisions for the good of your family, then do so. Do so. I challenge you in the name of Jesus, do so. Do you know when Jeroboam began to erect his little temple and tabernacle and began to sanction those priests, the true priest that were dwelling in those 10 northern tribes had to make a decision. And they began to migrate, migrate down to Jerusalem. I pray the same thing happens in our generation. Migrate to the church that's preaching the true gospel. Are y'all here today? All the word of God, all the counsel of God, the truth of the love of God, the truth of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but not in a skewered, manipulative way, but say, God, you speak. You speak to us, Lord, by your word, and you shape us. As our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, so I'm going to ask two questions in dismissal today. Number one, I preach today, and I hope you said, Pastor, are you angry? Are you? I hope that you don't perceive that I preach angry today. I'm preaching out of the sincerity of my heart to encourage people to be more vigilant than at any other time in their history because Jeroboam's gospel is being shared all over this nation. So I encourage you. I encourage you today. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, this, you know, we sung a song about what he did for us on the tree, on the cross. That's the heart of the gospel, what Jesus did for you. What he did. But what are you going to do in response You may know he died, but have you accepted his redemptive work? Have you cried out in repentance of your sin? Have you looked to the Lord and said, Lord, forgive me of all my transgressions, that I might know you in a pure and a sincere way? So God, today, if there's anybody here today, I ask that, that says, Pastor Brown, I would like to make a profession of faith in my heart and my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, would you pray with me right where I'm at today? Slip your hand up and I'll pray with you. I'll give you that moment right now before we pray collectively in Jesus' name. Secondly today, as I ask you to stand up with me right now, but then we're going to continue to close in prayer. Who here, as we pray, pray, will pray for the true church to be emboldened And to be strong despite Jeroboam's gospel being shared all around us. Knowing that there is a climatic moment going to happen at some time in the future. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know exactly how it's going to be. But just like Rehoboam was prevented from actual conflict. But that conflict happened in the days of his son 18, 19 years later. We don't know the time, but there's a climatic moment that's happening and it's going to happen in our, potentially in our generation. I want to make sure I'm on the right side. Are y'all here today? Abijah spoke that to Jeroboam and he said, don't fight against God. Let's, as our heads bowed and let's pray in closing, say, God help us to make sure that we're on the right side, that we're on your side, that we recognize today that our hopes lie not in Uh, the republican party or independent party or certainly not the democratic party our hopes lie not father in an elected president or a governor our hope lies in you come on somebody Uh, our hope lies in you god we put our faith and our trust in you god we don't father god we don't expect the, the the government to to alter the culture we expect god today the power of the word of god Raise up churches all across this nation emboldened by the power of the Spirit of the living God. That, Father, that the truth where men and women are anointed, not just consecrated, not just degrees on their wall, not just called bishops or higher prelates or, 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 or pastor or reverend, but that have a distinct, sacred anointing that drips from the beard of Jesus over their head and over their mouth. And when they minister the Word, there's a tangible presence of the living God, and the Word burns and pierces the heart and the mind of the listener. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, let there be a cutting edge to the word that's spoken here at First Assembly, God. And let our people be emboldened that when they go out into this community, into their family, into their homes, that, Father God, they're not arrogant, but they are bold. Father, in Jesus' name, they, they trust in the Lord. They're not deceived. They walk in love, but they're not blinded. Father, they hold forth the truth of the word, and they're unashamed of the truth of the Scriptures. So I thank you for the people of God. As we come, Father God, in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, help us to to be able to very quickly discern Jeroboam's gospel from the true gospel. And may we make the strong decision to be a part of the true gospel. I pray it over my church family today in Jesus' name. And all God's children said Amen. amen and amen.